you may even have a preference on how to do it. Some of you I know um, come here on Sundays, but go to other places of worship and have had conversations about how different it is that we worship God and how you like one over the other, and this is why we have it. And bottom line is how we worship God matters, not only to us, but to, to God himself. Because ultimately, how we worship God is going to be seen in one or two ways. We either worship God on his terms, or we worship God in our terms. Imagine this. That you finished college, those of you that are in high school and college, or those of you that have finished college already, it's easier for you to imagine this, and you get the job of your dreams. And if you're there, easier for you to imagine. Making six figures. Get your own place. Nice two-bedroom apartment, you know, with a nice view of the Washington Monument. It's right outside of your living room window. Nice neighborhood. Got a nice car. Maybe you're into EV, so you got a Tesla. Model whatever, X. You go to the best gym. You can actually afford to go to some of the fanciest restaurants that the DMV has to offer at your leisure. Eat well. And then in... uh, course of time, as, as we read, you buy season tickets to your favorite team. Nice seats. Cost you maybe five, six thousand dollars. Right? And then your parents' birthday rolls around. Show up, it's dad's birthday. Give him a gift. He opens it. He's excited. I mean, he's so proud of you. I mean, the success that, I mean, he's showing off on Facebook, right? Because all dads are on Facebook. Because that's the old generation stuff. He's showing off. My son, my daughter, yeah, they're doing well. They're making six figures. They got all this nice place. Awesome. And they're doing this. A fancy car. Took me to a game. Whatever. Or he opens the gift box. And you notice his face kind of changes. Guess what he gets? handkerchief
So not to disappoint you, he says, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I so wanted a handkerchief. Some of you might not even know what that is. But imagine what he may be thinking. Is that all I'm worth? You spend thousands of dollars in gym memberships per month, thousands of dollars on sports seats, drive a seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollar car, live in a very fancy apartment. Birthday comes around. So, but it's fancy. You know how much I spent on it? This piece of silk cloth. 75 bucks, Dad. That's expensive, you may think, for a handkerchief. But he might be thinking, is that what I'm worth? I say this because you wanted to give that gift on your terms, not on his. And worship, as we see here in our passage as well, there's a contrast between one brother giving worship to God in his terms, on his terms, and the other one on God's terms. Now you might say, oh, well, I didn't want to ruin the, my dad's birthday party or anything like that by asking him what his terms is. But when it comes to God, he has already set his terms in his word. We don't have to figure it out on our own. We don't have to use our imagination. He has set his terms by which he should be worshipped in his word. And our attitude of our worship will need to conform to his terms and not our own. And this is what we see in this passage together this morning. I want us to see together, and I really want to show you these four things. That would be our... There you go. That would be our outline. From this passage we read, I want us to see together the relationship between worship and sacrifice. And the simplicity of biblical worship and how God is sovereign and how He receives worship and our responsibility in worship. So first and foremost, I want to show you the relationship between worship, and sacrifice. There you go. You can scour. I mean, you can start here. This is, by the way, this is um, the first time we see worship happen in the Bible. This passage here. But from here on out, we see Noah offering Worship to God through a sacrifice. We see Abraham doing that. And then the entire Old Testament 
people of Israel are even commanded through Moses and through the prophets. And we see this biblical worship is understood in terms of offering sacrifice to God. And those offerings can can be one of three things. Praise, prayer, which are really spiritual forms of worship. But also there's a tangible physical sacrifice where we'll see by burnt offerings or tithing or giving someone's life over. Think of Samson, right? Who was a Nazarite who, who was given as an act of worship. He's dedicated to God from birth. Nonetheless, there is an offering of a sacrifice in terms of biblical worship. So I bring this point up because I want us to know that worship and and sacrificial worship, biblical worship, is not a human invention as your 21st century professors might tell you or your skeptics on YouTube may tell you. This is literally the second generation of humanity is worshiping God. This is not a human invention so that we can make sense of life. What you're doing right now is not something concocted a few generations ago so that people can somehow make sense of life or gain some kind of socio-political or socio-economic control over the masses. Newsflash, we are not that smart. If we were to come up with a way of worship, we will have sacrifice be so far away from it that it wouldn't look like this. I mean, imagine, we all want to be comfortable. The, the point of life for the non-believer is to avoid pain and suffering and to indulge in pleasure. So if mankind that is heart, that is removed from God's glory, can actually come up with a way to worship their own God, they would remove all kinds of sacrifice from that. So the way that we worship God is not man-made. God himself came up with it. And worship that is expressed through sacrifice is from God and it's from the beginning of time. And this is what we see in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Don't have to turn there. I think it's up there. Maybe it's not up there. Um, This says, Yahweh, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Here he's talking about, in the context, how to worship God and how to please God. And he says, if you want to do that, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths. And you would find rest for your soul. So here in this passage back in our passage in uh, Genesis chapter 4, we see the first generation of mankind engaged in this kind of worship and bringing offering as an act of worship to God, which is required of them 
to suffer some type of loss. That's what sacrifice is. Sacrifice is to suffer a loss or to sacrifice something. Oh, sacrifice is sacrifice. To, to, um, to, to, to give something up for the sake of the glory of God. This is what, we're, what they're doing. I mean, both brothers here, if, if you look down, they're losing something. One was a farmer. The other one was a shepherd. Farming was, in that time, a, a more honorable position than just keeping sheep and flock. But both of them are giving something up. So we see here that biblical worship is sacrificial in nature. There is a, a, an inseparable relationship between worship and sacrifice. And we see this played out in this passage. Yet, this sacrificial worship is not too complex. Which leads me to the second point, which is the simplicity of worship. And I want you to notice a distinction here. I didn't say the easiness of worship. I'm saying the simplicity of worship. Look down with me to chapter 4, verse 3 in Genesis. So it happened in the course of time, Cain brought an offering to Yahweh of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, brought the firstborn of his flock, and from there, fat portions. Prior to that, in verse 2, we see these brothers being introduced to us in verse 1 and verse 2. Really, verse 2 gives us what they do. Uh, And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a cultivator of the ground. So, Abel brings what? The flock. Cain brings whatever fruits the ground gave. Notice, God-honoring worship is not too complicated to the degree that it requires some kind of elite status. As we consider the brothers' worship, consider how Cain worshipped. Cain worshipped God according to his station in life. What was his station in life? He was a farmer. So what did he bring? Something from his farm. Consider Abel's worship according to his station in life. What was he? He was a shepherd. What does he bring? One, his flock. Now, we'll go into what the distinction is, but just notice how simple life would be to worship God where you are. You don't have to be some intricate, some elite Christian to worship God in a different way. Somebody has to lay their hands on you and and say a few things about you so that you can worship God in a way that is acceptable to Him. There's no elitism in in the worship of God, because you are made in His image, as we saw last week anyways, because if you bear God's image, and that is what you're doing, if you're an image bearer of God, then you're a worshiper already. 
Simple, not easy. Notice how they came, both of them, with whatever God provided them in their vocation. They didn't come with any kind of innovative idea. And like, oh, you know what? I'm a farmer, but when I, what if I go and flip this, and then I can get this, and I can come and worship God in this kind of new way? They, they weren't. God put them at a specific vocation, a specific station in life. They brought what God gave them to him. Cain's offering came from, what does the Bible say? He brought, Cain, in verse 3, an offering to the Lord, to Yahweh, of his own fruit. It's not what it says. It doesn't say of his own farm. It says of the fruit of the ground. I believe that's there because the, Moses wants us to understand that even the worship that we give back to God is not inherently ours. It's what the ground gave that Cain brought. It's what the flock gave that Abel brought. It's not something innovative. It's not something new that he, that either one of them brought. There's no kind of innovation or creative thinking involved here in this worship. So in that sense, worship is simple. The way that we worship God today does not need to be groundbreaking in this new atmosphere. You know, the lights are shining and you got the smoke machine here. And then you got to set the mood so that God, the Holy Spirit, can descend from on high and, and be in our midst. And just worship God where you are. Are you in high school? Worship Him as a high schooler. You in college? Worship him as a college student. Are you married? Worship him. In, wherever you are, you worship him. In that sense, worship is simple. Again, I did not say it was easy. Thirdly, we also see here, especially in verse 4, the end of verse 4, and verse the beginning of verse five, the God is sovereign how he receives worship. We see God's sovereignty in worship. So so far we see uh, uh, they both worship, and they worship him where they are, in a simple way. And their worship is sacrificial. So far, so good. But there is an object to our worship. Any kind of worship has an object. Even people that say they don't worship anyone are worshiping their own ideal of what they should be living like. So they're worshiping themselves. But any worship has an object for us. It's God, it's Yahweh, the one true God. And so it was for Abel and Cain in our passage here. Notice how it says, that so what happened in the course of time, verse 3, Cain brought an offering to the Lord. 
In the same way, Abel also brought worship to the Lord. So they, they, they notice how both brothers worship the same God, has the same object of worship. So far, so good. The story is fine. And you know the story, how it ends, but that's... And then verse 4 tells us that God receives one worship and rejects another worship. Verse 4 tells us that God sovereignly chooses to accept one and to reject another. So as we're thinking about this, consider your view of God as you worship Him. Does God accept or reject our worship? When you worship God, He would either accept it or reject it. Not only He would, He can The reason that he would is because he can. He's sovereignly saying, I'm going to accept this kind of worship, and I'm going to reject this kind of worship. Is that how we worship? As if our worship would actually be seen as either pass or fail? Is that our thought of worship when we worship God? Furthermore, notice that God is primarily focused on the means of worship. Uh, He's not focused on, pardon me, he's not primarily focused on the means of worship, but the worshiper himself. Notice, go back with me to Genesis chapter 4 and look down at your Bible. Look at how God is looking at this worship service. First one recorded in history. Second, last portion of chapter 4. And God and Yahweh had regard for Abel and for his offering. On the contrary, verse 5, but for Cain and for his offering. You notice it's not there by accident. God is looking at Abel first, then his offering. He's looking at Cain first, then his offering. Because if it was just the offering that God was primarily focused about, it matters, by the way. This narrative wouldn't make sense, would it? If it's just about them coming with the simplicity of worship, and then just coming, and then just saying, okay, here's what I'm going to give, and then Abel comes, and here's what I'm going to give, and God is focused on what it was given to him, and not the person who was giving it to him, then the rest of the passage wouldn't make sense. Why would God reject something when both of them did ultimately the same thing? And the clue for that is found in what we just read. For Abel first, the person, he had regard for Abel before his offering. He had no regard for Cain before his offering. And taking this passage in its face value, there's really little implied as to why. Just, just in this passage, if we remain here, Why? Why would God regard Abel and disregard Cain? There's very little referred here. 
That's because he's sovereign. He just did. Now, we see in verse 7, um, when God is having a conversation with Cain, that if you do well, will, you not con- would, will, will not your countenance be lifted up? So we can kind of uh, get from that that uh, maybe Cain didn't do so well. But that's about all we have as, as far as reason why God looked with regard to Abel's worship and not to Cain's. So is God just randomly selecting Abel out of, out of nowhere? Is, is his election or is, is his sovereignty random? That's, that's not true. It's not just random. And just to clarify, this is not done in random. We can go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, which should be up there on, your, on the screen. We know why God chose to show regard to Abel's, to Abel and his worship. By faith, Abel offered to God. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice. It's because Abel's worship was according to his faith in God. So that's why. So it's not random, but if we were just reading this for the first time, or even the second time, like why would, why would you do that? So God explains this to us. It's because he regarded Abel according to his faith. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 also gives a better insight to this. That's not on the screen. I'll read it to you as, as John writes, Not as Cain, who was of, of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Why did Cain kill his brother? Because his deeds were evil and his, brother were, his brothers were righteous. So we don't see this in Genesis. We don't see this explanation in Genesis. We see this in Hebrews and in 1 John. But this is the reason. God's sovereign, whether or not he wants to receive, sacrifice, worship from Abel or Cain. Bottom line is God is the one who can truly look at a person, who can truly look at you, and your worship and choose to accept it or disregard it on the basis of his sovereignty. Yet that does not mean that we're, we don't have a responsibility, which is the next point that I want us to see real quickly as time is eluding me. What is our responsibility? If God is sovereign, uh, whether or not he would receive or reject our worship, what is our responsibility? We also look, look back in Genesis chapter 4 to see this. And this is where really the title for the message came from, the attitude of worship or worship attitude, because this is what determines from our side. And I want to draw your attention to the contrast between verse 3 and verse 4. 
There's a contrast for the first one that you see. Verse 3, Cain brought an offering to Yahweh of the fruit of the ground. Verse 4, Abel also brought of not just one of his flock, but the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Moses includes this qualitative qualifier. That's that's to say, there's a quality that Moses includes, a very subtle one, so if you read it fast, you might even miss it. But it's glaring, it's right there, there's a contrast. In terms of Abel's, the quality of their worship, or what they brought to God, is, is qualified here. And he includes one for Abel, but he does not include one for Cain. Abel brings the firstborn of his flock and their fat fat portion. What this indicates is Abel's worship was intentional. He thought about what he was going to bring to God. I mean, he probably knew that the the night before that he was going to go give, or however long ago, because we know that this, this happens in the course of time so he knew worship time was coming so there had to be some type of forethought that he was engaged in he made an intentional decision to go through his flock however many he had to find the firstborn which represents the the purest one the firstborn is usually the purest one Then, he didn't just settle on finding that firstborn. Let's just play a game of numbers with me for a second. Let's say he had 200 sheep. He went to find the first one that was born out of the 200. Imagine the sorting, and then the sheep are going around, and he's looking around. Maybe he's asking somebody for help. There's an intentionality about Abel's worship. He thought through what he was going to bring to God. And then once he found that one, he didn't just kill it, give it to God, he didn't just sacrifice it. He also gave the best portion. The fattiest portion. The portion that your doctor would say, stay away from that. Today, right? There's an intentionality about um, Abel's worship that is specifically mentioned in this passage, which is not mentioned, by the way, in regards to Cain. Cain just brought whatever he thought was enough. I'm a farmer. I got some wheat. All right, let's get some wheat. I don't know if he brought wheat or barley or, I don't know, strawberries. We don't know that, but we do know he was a farmer and he brought something that he goes, whatever I can get, I'm going to bring it to God. And if you're really looking into this, you can kind of see that. And in light of Hebrews 11 and 4, actually, I don't even want to speculate whether or not one had, had this and 
But in light of what we know of God's own revelation in Hebrews 11.4, this makes sense. That Abel believed that God's holiness requires the best kind of worship there is. That's what his faith is. He believed that his worship would be accepted if he was to do well. I mean, this is God's word himself in chapter 4 and verse 7. If you do well, would not your countenance be lifted up? If you do well, would, not I, would, would I not accept your worship is what God asking Cain. So you apply that to Abel. Abel must have done well. And what does Jesus say is, is, is the work of the Father? To believe in him and to believe in the one who sent him. That's John chapter 6. When a multitude come, come to him and say, hey, what can we do? What, what should we do? What, what is the work of the Father? So that just believe in him. Faith. So this makes sense. That because of Abel's faith in God, he had an intentional worship service, if you will. He thought about it. Can you imagine you getting married one day? And then you send me an invite to come and marry you. Because apparently I can now. Yeah. Well, not just yet. I have to go through a couple of paperwork. But, and then you go out, spend thousands of dollars on your tuxedo or your, your wedding gown. And then I wake up on your morning, the morning of your wedding. I'm like, oh man, I got to go to their wedding. All right, all they need is me and just the words that I'm going to say. All right, just put on these slides real quick. Nike slides, not Gucci, not, not Yeezys, none, none of that new age stuff, right? With socks on, by the way. And just sweats and a T-shirt. I show up at your wedding. And you're like, what are you doing? This is my wedding. I'm like, I mean, it's, it's the presence of me that matters. It's the word that, I, that you're going to see that matters. I'm here, ain't I? You would look at me like I've lost my mind. This is kind of what Cain is doing. Well, I got something for God. Let's go give it to him. In actuality, what would end up happening, by the way, is that when, you, when I receive that wedding invitation, I'm going to start thinking about what suit I'm going to wear. I'm going to make sure that if I'm going to wear a white shirt, I'm going to make sure that I go to the dry cleaners, make sure that it's clean. I'm going to possibly steam it or, or, or iron it before. I don't want to show up with wrinkly close to your wedding, I'm going to put some kind of intention about your invitation. And this is what Abel is doing. The attitude matters. 
That's what Abel is doing. He's going, he's getting, okay, here. Why? Because he believes it's important for God to be worshipped on his terms. Not on his own. Not on Abel's terms, but on God's terms. And now the terms are not given to us here in this passage, but, I mean, come on, who's, who's Abel and, and Cain's dad? Adam. I mean, this, this guy walked with God in the cool of the day. If he knew anything about God, if anybody knew Anything about God, all flawed that he was, it's got to be Adam. And he's got like almost the closest first hand information about how to worship God from his dad. It's not that far removed. I mean, we're way, way, way past. And we have to depend on, on God's revelation through his word by, by the power of his spirit to even know what they are. And we see clearly, imagine that. What was it that God told you when he first made you? That's what Abel and Cain had. So they knew the terms. That, that's clear from our passage. But Abel believed that the terms mattered. God's terms mattered. Cain just wanted to worship him on his own terms. We see this contrast and attitude. Cain just did it out of the sense of obligation or, or even an entitlement in his worship. We see that in his tone, right? He worships with no intention, but he just does it because it's obligated. You know, it's Sunday morning, I guess. I'm going to just roll over and just come to church because I don't feel like hearing my parents saying, oh, you didn't go to church. I guess this is what I'm used to doing, so I'm just going to show up. Oh, I guess I'm going to stand up because, you know, every week before we read God's word, I guess I'm going to close. And then there's a sense of entitlement even, right? Because as soon as Cain found out that his worship was not accepted, what happens to him? He gets angry. You know? Like a bratty child. who after having ate a nice meal and dessert and won an extra chocolate chip cookie and the parent says, no, you can't have it, falls out and throws a temper tantrum because they're, they feel like they're entitled for that extra too. And this, is, this is the attitude that, that we see Cain have. A sense of obligation in the way that he gives and a sense of entitlement because he gets rejected. He appears to believe that his worship deserves to be accepted based on his own merit. Based on what I... See, I gave you this, God. You should accept it. Yeah, you gave me this, this wheat harvest. I gave it to you. Come on now. Why would you reject me? I'm mad at you now. But the attitude of worship is what God is looking after. Are you worshiping God in faith? Or are you worshiping God as if it's an obligation? And then if you gave God something, 
doesn't matter whether it's on his terms or, or your term. You decide he, he should accept it. He should be thankful that I even showed up to church today. He should be thankful that I'm moving my mouth at all. You know what, God? I could be, I could be at home watching the NFL game. I'm here. You better take that. That's the kind of attitude that, that we see in Cain. And we see that he becomes the first man to be cursed. First human being to be cursed. That's what it gets him. Because God looks at the person and their intention and their attitude and the way that they give him worship. Listen to what he says to his people, Israel, in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 15. Hear the word of Yahweh, you rulers of Sodom. Whoa, Sodom is gone by the time of Isaiah, but he's saying that Israel is like Sodom. You guys know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? It's, it's wickedness central to the point that, I mean, these guys' wickedness is ridiculously flagrant and in your face. That they can even be negotiated. And God destroys those two cities. And he says, you guys are like Sodom. Not going to get into that. But here's what he says. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says Yahweh? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. And in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats, I take no pleasure. I mean, this is the sacrificial system that Israel had through through Moses, and people are bringing these things. I mean, you look at the reading, and you're like, oh, the fat-fed cattle. What are you talking about? This is what Abel gave. So let's go do this. And God is saying, I've had enough of it. When you come to appear before me, who requires you this trampling of my courts? Who asked you to give this to me? Who asked you to do this? Verse 13, bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of convocation. I cannot endure wickedness and a solemn assembly. And if that doesn't cut your heart, here's what he says. My soul hates your new moon festival. In your appointed times, they have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Indeed, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Why? Your hands are full of blood. God looks at the people of Israel, the hearts of his people, and he says, you're just doing, going through the motions of worship. Who asked you to do that? In fact, I'm not even going to listen to you. 
if you were to give me worship. If you just come to church, go through the motions, if you're just reading your Bible because this is something that God wants me to do, and then, you know, it makes me look more Christian than everybody else, it just becomes an obligation. God is saying, I'm tired of that. Instead, here's what God commands him in verses 16 and 17 in Isaiah 1. Wash yourselves, purify yourselves, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, execute justice for for the orphan, plead for the widow. That kind of heart that is dependent on him and on his terms. Here's the terms of worship. If you approach God on these terms, and you give him those word, the, 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 the worship in that way, he would receive it. If you come to God saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to do it the way I want to, whether you receive it or not, whatever. You can pray from sun up to sundown. God says, I'm going to hide my eyes from you. attitude of worship matters. Consider also the words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, as he lists out this acts of worship, right? I was in it a few, a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. When he talks about the worship life of giving, worship life of prayer, worship life of fasting, right? And the Sermon of the Mount. Consider what he says, beware of doing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. You're just doing outwardly stuff just to be noticed and say, oh, that guy, this guy, and that's what you're worried about? <laughs> you have no reward with your father, uh, father who is in heaven. So your attitude and how you worship matters to God. When you worship, do you worship God trusting that he is the maker of and the redeemer of your life. That when we come together in this way, do we worship God as if the God is in our midst, not because of our seating, not because of our congregation, but because God is everywhere and where his people call upon his name. Is that the kind of worship that you have? Do you believe that? Right? Faith is just believing, right? Do you trust that God is here as His Word is being preached? As we're praying? As you leave this place and you go and, and, and to your next part of your day? Because your whole life is worship. We saw that last week. Worship God with all that you are because you are God's image bearer. Do you actually believe that? And is that why you worship God? Because, honestly, what you believe determines how you do things. Notice what I said. What you believe 
determines how you do things. Not what you believe determines whether or not you do something, because I can make you do things that you don't want to do. If I ask you to stand up, even if you don't feel like standing up, you will stand up. If I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, you will do that, whether or not you want to do it or not. But how you do it is what matters to God. Would you do it on his terms? Would you worship God on his terms? With that attitude being focused on his word as the spirit reveals his truth to us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning desiring to be the true worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth. And we know that we cannot do that in and of ourselves, but you have made a way through your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we come to you to ask, to beg, to repent, to confess our inability, but also to enable us to worship you in a way that is acceptable in your sight. Lord, make us true worshipers. Give us this attitude of worship that you desire for us to have. Not out of compulsion, not out of obligation, not as such as dependent on our own merit, but on the merit of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy One whom you've sent from your bosom so that he can be our Redeemer, our Savior and our Lord. Father, this congregation desires to worship you in your own terms, on your own terms. We ask that your spirit would empower us to do so by revealing your truth to us so that we may bring our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen.